You are listening to the VBAC Link Podcast. This is episode number 46. We are going to hear from our friend Rachel, whose first cesarean was due to failure to progress. But we have a review of the week from Julie first. So, Julie, I'll turn the time over to you. Before I get the review of the week going, can you guys just hear these sweet Cute little, little baby, baby noises? Cues? I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't wait to hear this story and hear this baby narrate along with him, his mom, her mom. Oh my goodness. Do you have a boy or a girl, Rachel? A boy. A boy. <laughs> his mom. Okay. Yeah. Well, his mom. Perfect. <laughs> okay. So this review of the week is from Apple Podcasts and is from Dill Mills 17 And she says... So thankful for this podcast. I'm in my third trimester and prepping for my VBAC as a free at a freestanding birth center. I was so deeply affected by the birth of my 18-month-old daughter after prepping myself to have a natural birth. It's been hard to find people who understand the desire for VBAC if they haven't been through it. But I'm thankful for these stories and the encouragement they provide. I love listening to episodes in an Epsom salt bath for varicose veins during my daughter's nap time. And let me tell you, I love Epsom salt baths. In fact, if you haven't already... Go right now, get some Epsom salts, dump one to two cups in a bath. And guys, that is so good for your blood pressure, for your heart. It's got that magnesium in it. It's the fastest way to get into your bloodstream. It's relaxing. It's going to help you sleep. It's going to help restless legs. Magnesium, magnesium, magnesium. They sell like eight pound bags at Walmart for like five bucks. One to two cups. Be generous with that stuff. Yep. Just a little side note, if you wanted some tips to relax yourself, <laughs> thanks, Dill Mill, for that review. We love reviews. I, we love reviews so much. We just can't stop talking about how much we love the reviews. It's so true. It's so true. So if you guys wouldn't mind, head over. If you listen to Apple iTunes, head over right now. Pause the podcast before we get going into Rachel's story and leave us a review. Tell us what you think how it's helped you, what your favorite story is, whatever you would like. Leave us a review. And if you don't have Apple iTunes, you can head over to Facebook and search the VBAC link and leave a review on there. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Okay, Rachel, we are so excited for your story. I just, I just cringe sometimes when I hear this failure to progress because I was failure to progress two times and it just made me so mad. I always say after like, it was more like failure to wait. So (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you feel that way or if any of you other women of strength feel that way, but sometimes I feel like this failure to progress is more like failure to wait. And we need to, we need to change the the verbiage of that. But before I get on my rant about (laughs) that, (laughs) Rachel, we would love to turn the time over to you and hear your journey. All right. Well, so it started off with my first son. His name's Emmett. Um, I had a pretty normal pregnancy. I was healthy and all that. But 
around like my anatomy scan, he started measuring big, you know, so he was always measuring about what they thought was like two weeks ahead. He was just a, a bigger baby and my doctor was worried. So he was like, because you're really petite, I don't want you to suffer from pelvic trauma. I'm sure a lot of other ladies out there have heard something similar. And like looking back, you just think it's so ridiculous. But in the time, it was my first pregnancy. I didn't know. And it was difficult to decipher for me, like what was actually a risk. And then what I was just, you know, being told based on his medical like point of view and the whole medical aspect of it. So I was actually offered a cesarean around 30 weeks. What? I'm like, that is so ridiculous. Yeah, he was, he oh, wanted wow. to schedule me for a C-section at like 30 weeks because he was just he was just convinced that he was too big. Oh um, How big did they think he was at that point? Did they give you a I I don't estimate? remember at that point. I know mm-hmm. that whenever I was, I think it was 38 weeks, he was measuring at eight pounds. Oh. On the sonogram. Okay. So that's not too big. That's not big, yeah. yeah. And then whenever I delivered at 39 weeks, he ended up being eight five. So Whoa. it was... Huh. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't a he wasn't a huge baby, yeah, but he yeah. wasn't a tiny baby. Well, either. I can't imagine how big he would have been at thirty weeks. Yeah, he right. would have been teeny. Yeah, that right. Is so weird. Right. Crazy. Right. So frustrating, nonetheless. But I just didn't know at the time, so I elected to try to have him vaginally. I was like, I'm not going to go straight for a C-section. That was just crazy to me. But it was really hard at the time because. I mean, my husband sat in the doctor's office with me and he's just like kind of telling these scary stories of women who like end up with pelvic trauma and have bladder issues. And um, he even told a personal story in there with it. And so it was really hard for me to be like, oh, no, it's fine. Like, I can do this. And it really like kind of just crushed my spirits a little bit. And so even though I tried to have him vaginally, I was still like kind of always had like worry in the back of my mind, you know. Mm -hmm. And so a week before my due date, he was obviously still measuring big, like I said, or big to them. So I elected to be induced a week early because I was like, okay, well, you know, if what you say is true and you think that I can't deliver this big of a baby, then I guess having him a week early would make him less big and so therefore it might have I might have an easier time even though that I know that's ridiculous because just being induced was the reason I think that made it so difficult for me to have him in the first place but anyways so I was induced a week early um I checked into the hospital and as the nurse put it I was ready to go so I didn't actually have to have Cervidil which I know is pretty common for induction yeah um they started me on Pitocin right away So I had been on Pitocin, I started Pitocin at like 7 or 8 that night, and then by the next morning, I don't remember what I was dilated to, but I didn't, I wasn't feeling my contractions. So around 1 or 2 in the afternoon, they broke my water, and then that was when it was like super serious contractions. I went into labor like wanting an epidural, I didn't ever really consider not getting one, especially knowing that I was going to be having Pitocin contractions, which I had heard were way worse than Mm -hmm. uh, going into labor naturally and having contractions that way. 
So right around the time when my contraction started getting pretty bad, I got an epidural and rested for a little bit, which was good. And then it was time for me to push around five or six, don't exactly remember the time, but I pushed for two hours. And then what's also crazy about this is my doctor, I think, might have let me push for a little bit longer, but I just like felt in my heart that he just wasn't ready to come out. I was like, I had pushed for two hours and I wasn't making any progress. Like he was, he, like he hadn't come down yet. I don't, honestly, this is such a blur. I don't even, I don't even remember what happened, Mm -hmm. but I just remember the nurse kept telling me, you know, he hasn't like changed, made any progress. He hasn't made any progress. And I was just completely exhausted. I was like, I didn't have another push left in me. And so I was like, okay, fine, we can have a C-section. And honestly, it was really, I didn't have, like, I know a lot of people have really traumatic C-sections, and I didn't have that. I was pretty upset that I didn't get skin to skin right away like I had asked for. I don't exactly know if it was a miscommunication with the nurses or what, but at the same time, I really loved being able to see my husband with the baby. I thought that was really cool to see him with him since I didn't get to hold him right away. It was like him that got to hold him right yeah, away. So yeah. that was really cool. That was really cool. If I had to say there was one positive to having a C-section, um, that would be it. But um, my recovery was just, it was just really hard for me. I hated being on pain medicine. I hated the way it made me feel. And I hated not being able to just sit up in the middle of the night and take care of my baby. It made me feel like I just was a failure. It wasn't even the C-section part. It was just the fact, like, why can't I get up out of bed? And And then I was faced with regret, like, why didn't I just try to push one hour longer? Like, maybe it would have, maybe something would have changed. So I, I mean, after, after a week went by, and I was able to sit up better on my own. I was like, started to feel a little bit better. And, you know, I just kind of tried to move past the C-section experience and then didn't ever really consider that I might be getting pregnant, that I might be pregnant four and a half months later and have to wonder, like, should I have a V-back? And I didn't really know much about it. And I was just, super conflicted at first so it was like kind of mind-blowing to me (laughs) I wasn't expecting to get pregnant four and a half months later and even Mm -hmm. consider the possibilities and what I was going to do so I knew from the beginning that if I wanted to have a VBAC that my current provider obviously wasn't going to be a good choice I mean reflecting on my c-section and then like as I started doing more research on why C-sections happen and failure to progress and um, getting induced, big babies, the big baby scare, the pelvic trauma scare, all that. I was just like really annoyed kind of at my doctor and I was really just kind of annoyed at the whole experience. Like I shouldn't have gotten induced a week early. I shouldn't have had a C-section and I was just like kind of frustrated. And I think because of all of that, I was just like super overwhelmed. I didn't really know what to do. So I was like kind of talking to my husband about it and we weren't really sure of the risk of VBAC. So I was like, I kind of knew that a long time ago, you know, women didn't have VBACs and talking to like friends and family, they're like, well, can you even do that? 
And I'm like, yeah, I, I know you can, but I don't know what the risk is. I don't know to be able to tell you, you know, that it's less than 1% chance of uterine rupture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just really on the fence about it. And I actually stayed with my current provider up until I was about 34 weeks pregnant when I finally, you know, did my research and decided that a VBAC was what I really wanted to do. And I'm so glad that I did. So I was just kind of talking around, looking around, like kind of getting my feel out there for who would be a good VBAC provider. And I had heard about this doctor that was pretty VBAC friendly. So I wanted to meet with him. And I didn't really know where to start or like if he would even take me at 30 weeks pregnant. I think I was actually like 34 weeks pregnant. And do you all know, is is it hard to find a doctor that will accept you that late in your pregnancy? So sometimes some offices will not accept women that late, but more often they're not, than not, you can find a provider that will take you in with open hands. Um, and when we just had a a VBAC client. Julie had a VBAC client that changed it 38, like 34, 34. Weeks and then oh, again wow. at like 38 30, weeks. 30, yeah. yeah. So yeah, 34 weeks and then again at 38. I've personally had a client that changed at 41 weeks. So it just depends on the provider. Sometimes yeah. a provider will say, nope, can't take you. Like we're over, uh-huh. we're too booked. But sometimes, you know, there's a provider that will just say, yeah, come on in. I'm glad to take you. That's amazing. So I, I only really knew of one doctor and I messaged one of my friends on Facebook that actually worked at the, the hospital that I delivered at. And I knew I wanted to deliver at that, that hospital again. I really liked it. I really loved the nurses there and I loved the care that I received there. I just wasn't particularly fond of the doctor that I had. Right. So I messaged her and I was like, do you think there's any way, you know, this doctor would take me? And she was like, all supportive of me on board. She's like, oh my gosh, yes, you have to switch doctors. Like I'll talk to them for you and try to help you. So she did. She was amazing. And she told me that normally they didn't accept patients that late, but that she would talk to them for me and they accepted me. And I was so grateful. And so I made an appointment with him and he was super supportive answered all my questions, explained to me the risk of not only having a repeat cesarean, but having a VBAC. And it was great to like see both sides to see the whole picture. But the only thing, this is a little twist in the story, the only thing that could come in between me and my VBAC was that my old doctor was actually the doctor that he has on call for him. Oh, So (laughs) I know that this isn't I know this isn't your ideal doctor that you would probably normally want to go to, but it was so late in the game and I was just super overwhelmed with everything already. I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to trust God that I am not going to go into labor. The stars will align. Yeah. I'm just not going to go into labor when he is on call. And what made it a little bit worse was that I was due right around Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a four day period of, my doctor being on call or not being on call. So my old doctor mm-hmm. being on call yeah, and having a chance of Delivering. having my old doctor come. Yes. Yeah. And so my current doctor explained to me, he was pretty different. He was like, I honestly don't think that your old doctor will let you have a VBAC. Like he won't deliver your baby <sighs> for you. But he said, 
he can't make you have a C-section. So he told me what to do if, if it so just so happened that he was on call during that time. He was like, he can't make you have a C-section. He just kept telling me that. You can tell him that you don't want a C-section. He can't make you. And so th- he explained that there, was, there would probably be another doctor there that would come and, and deliver for me. But luckily, I didn't have to deal with that, and it all worked out great. So anyways... I, it was, it was actually, I actually went into labor the day after, after Thanksgiving break. So Thanksgiving was on a Thursday. He was, he wasn't, my current doctor wasn't working on that Thursday, that Friday, that Saturday, or that Sunday. And I went into labor on Monday. I was just willing my baby to not come. The mind is powerful. I'll tell yeah. you. It really is. You know, I was like, I, I, I didn't think about it too much. I was like, that's not going to happen all going to be good it's going to work out and it did so it was crazy I woke up Monday morning it was the week after Thanksgiving break I'm a teacher so I had off the whole week before that I got to work Monday morning and I had heard on another podcast some a lady mentioned that it's hard or you you're less likely to go into labor when you're caring for your son or your child so it's crazy to me that like going to labor right now who I told her I'm like it's not gonna happen today it'll probably happen tonight (laughs) after she puts her son to bed (laughs) well it was like the first time I hadn't been with him for for a week and so anyways as soon as I got to work I started having contractions I was on the fence I was like is this real am I really in labor I, I started timing them and they were about like six to eight minutes apart and then they just kept getting closer together, and probably by like eleven or twelve in the afternoon, they were about four minutes apart. And I was kind of confused because I was like, "Wait, this is when I'm supposed to be going to the hospital when they're around four minutes apart." Mm-hmm. Um, but they weren't that bad, so I was mm-hmm. like, "I am not going to the hospital until they are like super serious." I read the Bradley method. I also didn't have a doula. I didn't go to any childbirthing class, I am kind of an avoider. So when something comes up that I don't, that like I'm unsure about or that I'm on the fence about, I just kind of avoid it. And that's pretty much what I did. I I didn't think we would be able to afford a doula. And so I didn't really put that much research into like trying to find one. And I didn't, the, the idea of going to a class to me was just too much. So I was like, I'm just going to read a book. And try to try to just wing this, which is also probably not the best advice. If I could have had a doula, I definitely would have. But anyways, it was about 12 o'clock and I was eating lunch with one of my coworkers. And I was like, my contractions are starting to get a little bit more serious. And she was like, well, maybe you should go home. And I was like, I don't want to go home until they're really bad. And then we walk downstairs and I was going to pick up my kids from lunch and then go back to work with them. And I was like, you know what? I don't think I should. I think I need to go home. So I went and told my principal, I was like, I got to go. I'm, I think I'm in labor. Um, but on my way out, I actually told the lady in the office, I was like, watch, I'm going to go home and the contractions are going to stop. And my mom, like, just wait. I don't even think this is real. I was in complete denial the whole time. And so I got home and we tried to figure out what to do with my firstborn. So I took a bath, kind of let my husband figure that out. And I got out of the bath and I was like, okay, this is real. This is really happening. They 
were about, my contractions were about three to four minutes apart. They were getting pretty serious, but I was like, I don't know if I need to go to the hospital yet. I wanted to make sure I was not at the hospital until they were super serious. The Bradley method's really big on that, like waiting until you're not smiling anymore and you can't talk to your contractions. So I was like, I'm still smiling. I'm good. And then it just, they just kicked in and I was like, okay, we need to go. So my sister-in-law came over and she got my firstborn for us and then brought me a smoothie, which was delicious. And then we got in the car, headed to the hospital. And on the way there, we called the doctor's office to see like what we should do. And so they said, come into the office first and we'll check you. And that'll help hopefully help you bypass going into like the emergency room because that's, that's what my hospital does. You go to the emergency room if you're in labor and then they check you into labor and delivery. So we went to the doctor's office. And by the time we were at the doctor's office, I was in full blown like labor, la la land. I was just like completely just breathing through my contractions, like kind of off in the zone. And I was kind of like, I got to the doctor's office and they were just had me in the waiting room. And I'm like, should we be in the waiting room? Like I, I couldn't sit down. I was like standing up. My husband's just like feeling probably really uncomfortable because (laughs) I can, I'm working on my breathing still. So we went back to the doctor's office. Finally, they called my name and I was dilated to about a six or a seven. Nice. Yes. It was great. So they took me to labor and delivery, and this was a whole long process. I think they were, they were supposed to bypass me so I didn't have to check in, but I still had to check in. So I'm having contractions while I'm talking to the people checking in. My husband's like, can't you just get us a room? Like, he's freaking out. And so finally, we get up there, and it's probably about 3 or 4 o'clock. And I was really, get, I was really close to wanting an epidural. And I ended up not getting one. I was honestly wasn't a big fan of the anesthesiologist that I had had whenever I gave birth my first time. And he just so happened to be working again. And so I was kind of like, oh, I don't really know if I want to have an epidural or not, just because I knew that he was working. So it kind of helped me a little bit not like get the courage up to not have one. And I was so blessed that my labor and delivery nurse was pro- no medicine and so she was really encouraging to me especially since I didn't have a doula like you can do it you got this you're already at a six or seven keep going and that's one reason why I think it would have been helpful for me to really to have a doula somebody that's like constantly in my ear like you got this you can do it you can do it because my husband was more he's just he was just nervous for me like he wanted me to be comfortable he didn't want me to be in pain so it was harder for him to be like no you don't need an epidural but he eventually was like, just think you're, you're going to be able to hold him at whenever my contractions were getting really serious. So, yeah. yeah. So I tossed it out and then I ended up delivering him at around 7 p.m. So I was really only in the hospital for about three hours and wow. before I, before I gave birth. Yeah, it was amazing. It was like what I had always dreamed of happening, but I never thought it would actually happen, especially <laughs> since. I changed doctors to the last minute and it was all just like, wow, did that really just happen? Did I really get exactly what I wanted? But that, that was my, the one thing that like really, really pushed me to have a VBAC was my firstborn. So since he was only, he was 
a year and two weeks old whenever I gave birth. And I just could not imagine like not being able to hold him. Not only did I know it was going to be difficult to get up in the middle of the night and feed my newborn, I just couldn't picture like not being able to hold my firstborn because he's one, he's super demanding of my attention. He loves mm-hmm. being held. He can't, he couldn't even walk yet. So he was just, I mean, it, t- it takes my full strength just to be able to change him. So I was like, you are the reason why I'm going to do this. And I did it and it was incredible and amazing. And so, yeah, I went from my water needed, or sorry, I'm, I'm just so excited. I'm getting all tripped up. You're so fine. It was around, <laughs> it was around um, like probably 630 when my doctor came in and was like, okay, if we break your water, I think you'll probably be completely ready to go, like out of 10 ready to push. And so I was a little hesitant because I had heard I was trying to do it as natural as possible. I didn't want, I wanted like the least amount of interventions as possible. I was like, are you sure you think you should break my water? And he was like, yes, like you're almost ready to go. Like it'll be the last push that you need. So I was like, okay, do it, break my water. And so almost, I feel like right after my water was broken, I was like, oh, I need to push right now. And the nurse wanted me to wait a little bit because I wasn't like full and complete, even though I felt like I was. And so I, I waited and then I still really needed to, I felt like I really needed to push. And so the nurse came in and she was like, well, Dr. Downey's on his way. So you're going to have to Wait just like mm. a few more minutes. That's the <laughs> hardest like, no, you, thing to I do. Was like, no, you don't understand. I yeah. can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait. So she brought in another doctor. That I don't really know what this doctor does, but she was just there to try to tell me to not maybe not just push. the hospitalist or something. Yes, that's what they're called. That's what yeah. they're called, the hospitalist. Mm-hmm. So she was like you know, I really want you to wait. And I was like, I don't care. Just please deliver my baby. I like you. You can deliver him. I don't care. <laughs> and so finally, like, I, I felt like everybody was coming into the room that wasn't my doctor. You know, there's always so many people that come in and out once you're getting ready to deliver. I was like, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Mm-hmm. So finally he came in and it was like probably less than 10 minutes. I, I don't remember how many pushes it was. Not very many, but I... It was like, boom, boom, he's here. And I was like, oh, my gosh, did that seriously just happen? And it was so amazing. Yeah. Especially when it happens like that, you're like, wait, he's here. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah. I was supposed to be at I was supposed to be at work this morning. I was supposed to be at work today. Yeah, it was crazy. It's and then so especially crazy. just from going from failure to progress where I was pushing for two hours and nothing was changing. Yeah. I couldn't feel anything. And then to all of a sudden, man, there's a baby right there's here. There's a baby in my arms. <laughs> and I, didn't, in, in, I didn't need an episiotomy. Um, Lovely. I Good. hardly had a tear. Yeah, it was great. So amazing. And you got skin to skin. Yes. Good. I got my skin to skin and... Good. I feel like the only thing I wasn't really expecting was, like, how many people stay in the room after. Yeah. Like, I feel like they eventually clear out, but I was like, can y'all, like, leave? Yeah. <laughs> um, I definitely would have considered a home birth if it wouldn't have been for a VBAC. I know that, I think, is it Megan? That's, bo- both of y'all did a home birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no, did birth I did a birth center. center. Kind of like yeah. Home, but uh, I did a birth center. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But I, I wasn't in the hospital. 
the, the risk of birth center and home birth is a little too much for my husband, but I'm like, man, if I could have it in my own, in my own bed uh, without uh, all these people bothering me and pestering me, I would so totally nice. do it. Another thing is that's actually kind of funny is I had to have the IV because I was a VBAC. That was a hospital policy. Yeah. Do you all know if there's any way you can get out of that if it's hospital policy? So, about that. yeah, <laughs> it's a hospital policy, but so, this is the thing. So when you're when you're going to VBAC in a hospital, there's going to be things that, like you really have to push for and things that might not be as important or big of battle that you want to fight. And right. it, like getting a HEP lock or a saline lock or, you know, IV access while you VBAC is probably one of those things that you want to s- to use to say, okay, I'm willing to work with you and your hospital policies, Mm -hmm. but these other things are really important to me. So typically, like, it's just not something that you want to fight for because you don't want to be fighting every single thing. Right. 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 But you can. But if it is important to you, like, if you are deathly afraid of needles or you're going to pass out or you just really don't, like, if that's, like, your top three priorities, then then fight for it and find a provider that will let you. Yeah, that will let you support that. But I, it's not likely to be somebody's, you know top three priorities um right and and when you're negotiating with that if that's something you do want when Mm -hmm. you're negotiating you can you know let them know like okay i'll make sure i stay hydrated you know i'll do everything and then if there's any point where you really think it is medically necessary that i need this you know i won't fight but until we get to that point i would like to remain iv free yeah or hep lock free so right yeah i mean and I, I've seen it happen where, you know, we have a couple hospitals here in Utah that they're very respectful of that. But with VBAC in general, they're a little, they're more picky. A little bit more picky <laughs> and strict with that. Same thing with fetal monitoring. Yeah. Um, constant fetal monitoring. You know, they really want to make sure that that baby is being monitored right. 100% mm-hmm. of and the those, time. Those were two things that I really didn't like from my first yeah. birth. Yep. Um, yeah. But since I got to the hospital so late and I was already like straight up in labor La La Land, the fetal monitoring, it was like the belly band. It didn't bother me one yeah. bit. I yeah. didn't even think about it because I was just like trying to breathe through my contractions and relax. And so I was like, the nurses would come and like mess with it when it was um, off place. But I pretty much just completely ignored them and everything that was going on. But the one thing that really did get on my nerves was the IV and the, mm. what is it called again? The yeah, hep- a HEPLOC or saline lock. The HEPLOC, yes. Yeah. So what happened was is, they were really having a problem getting the IV in my arm. Mm. And I promise you, they spent probably an hour working on this. I thought I was pretty hydrated. I was, I mean, I was drinking water at work. I had a smoothie before I went in. But luckily, like I said, I was off in labor law land, so it really didn't bother me that they were poking me for like an hour straight. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember I mentioned to him, I was like, oh, well, I guess I can't have it since you can't get it in. And they were kind of like, oh, yeah, right. Nice try. So I didn't really push it that much, but I was just wondering if that was something that anybody did push for because, I don't know, maybe if I, for my next feedback, if, I don't know if that was something I could consider, like, yeah, can you not poke me that much? And another thing that was pretty kind of ironic was I had a bruise pretty bad on my hand up to like two weeks after I delivered. Mm. I'm like completely recovered everywhere else except for oh, wait, I have this huge bruise on my hands from my yeah. IV that I just had to have so I could give birth. 
Yeah. But so I, I mean, it I, wasn't that big of a deal looking like in the grand scheme of things, but right. Um, I do. I have had um, a VBAC mom that did. She just she didn't want an IV and she fought hard for it, but she made sure that her provider backed her up with that mm-hmm. ahead of time. Ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so and even the provider said you're going to probably get some you know, some flack from the hospital and they're probably going to mm-hmm. warn you of the risk and they're going to push for it. And she was very passionate. That was one of her things she really, really, really didn't want. She had really small rolly veins and she also had issues in the past where, you know, she just, vein, <laughs> IVs are not good for her. Like they're, they're just not right. easy to put in and, and it right. made her anxious. And so, so, yeah, so she did fight for it. It was hospital policy, but she didn't get it. She didn't get the IV. Um, she also awesome. did labor at home as long as possible mm-hmm. to kind of avoid that instant thing that they do. You know, you yeah. walk in and they're like, oh, mm-hmm. IV. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. Well, and another thing, too, is it ta- you know, obviously we said talk to your provider ahead of time, but have him make a note in your chart. Um, because if you get to the hospital and you say, my doctor said I didn't have to have one and your doctor's not there, um, right. which is likely that he's not going to be immediately available when you get to the hospital, then just say, you know, he made a note in my chart or I have a birth plan in my chart that said that, that he signed off on and um, make sure that it, there's a record of it somewhere so that uh, you have less of a fight when you do get to the hospital. Yeah, that's good advice. I honestly feel like I could have been a little bit more prepared for my VBAC than I was, uh, like with just between not having a doula, changing doctors so late, not going to any birthing class or um, anything like that. So, I mean, I was pre- I was as prepared as I could have been, like with the resources that I had and the time that I had. But at the same time, like I didn't, I was just kind of like, is the IV really something that I wanted to fight? And at the end of the day, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, the same with the fetal monitoring. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really, I think it really, really helped me not going to the hospital until I was already like ready, ready to go basically, because I, I just wasn't even thinking about it. Yeah. And it's like when you're getting induced and you're there for, you know, almost 24 hours and you're hooked up to, to a belly monitor, like, yeah, it's going to get pretty annoying after 24 hours. But if it's only three hours, you might not even think about it. So definitely, yeah, yeah, exactly. If you you're just you're in the mix of labor and you're not you're not focusing so much on everything else going on. Yes, so, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story. We love it, love it, love it, and we know that it's going to help so many women around the world. Thank you for having me. Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to the VBAClink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the VBAClink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAClink.